0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Today, making sure emergency information doesn't get lost in translation for people who don't have English as a first language.
2: How many people pay with cards everywhere they go? If the power goes out, the FPOS goes out, you cannot use your card if there's no power. You need to have some cash on hand if an emergency is coming because you cannot use your card.
1: And concerns pensioners in regional Western Australia are being slogged millions in fees on their discount fuel card. Why well,
3: should they take a percentage? You only swipe your card. Yeah, well, it seems to be like a bit of a rot and just ripping off the pensioners. Another way of doing it.
1: I'm Sinead Mangan, and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country. With warnings of another severe storm season, efforts have been made to ensure some of the most vulnerable in the community understand the risks and how they need to prepare. The SES and disaster coordinators have run a special workshop in Mackay for migrants and those who don't have English as a first language. Indriani and her husband Novri went through Cyclone Debbie in 2017 and vividly remembered the panic they felt. They spoke to Melissa Madison in Mackay.
4: As a storm rumbles overhead, Makai couple Indriani and Novri Saldi take note of the ominous warning that the annual storm and cyclone season is on the way. Coming from Indonesia, natural disasters and severe weather events are nothing new to the mother of two.
5: What I've experienced is a earthquake and then flooding.
4: But the family wasn't ready for Cyclone Debbie, which smashed into the North Queensland coast in 2017.
5: Yes, it was scary because I was pregnant when cyclone Da happened, and just and we don't have any family very close uh, family or relative here in Australia, so it's just only us, so it it does quite frightening at that time. We didn't know anything at that time we didn't do anything we didn't even prepare anything at that time' cause we don't know anything. We, we didn't prepare for anything.
4: After that experience, the family now makes sure they're prepared. Packing go bags, storing important documents and medications in case they need to evacuate.
5: <laughs>
4: Indriani is one of a number of migrant women who've attended workshops designed for people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds they help people to understand the weather events faced by the region, and most importantly, how to prepare.
2: How many people pay with cards everywhere they go? If the power goes out, the FPOS goes out, you cannot use your card if there's no power. You need to have some cash on hand if an emergency is coming because you cannot use your card. And if you can't use your card and you've got no cash, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble.
4: The workshops cover a variety of topics, from knowing how to access information on the online disaster dashboard, to the importance of social connections. And while life in North Queensland is usually one full of modern conveniences, there's a reminder that's certainly not the case once a disaster strikes.
2: Stuff all babies, the formula, the bottles. If there is a storm coming, fill up your bottles with water and put them in the fridge ready to go so you've got sterilised clean water for your babies.
4: Emergency Management Officer Christy Brown says being involved in sessions for the called community has presented a number of opportunities.
6: Things like our emergency action guide, exploring the ways of getting that translated into different languages, tapping into translation services, um, even Auslan, that sort of thing. So it's just finding different mechanisms that will get out to the vast majority of the community as much as
4: we can those who organised the workshops recognised the needs of participants to be able to get the most out of it, including how the messages were delivered.
5: We need someone to speak English, not in a rush, like very clearly, like they don't speak English in Australian slang, they speak English really nice which is understandable with us and they're really patiently talking to us waiting for us to finish the sentence while we're talking. I can understand their English, this, which is really nice.
4: A special playgroup was held in the room next door so parents could give their undivided attention to the presenters.
5: So having the someone to look after the kids while I'm paying fully attention to the workshop so I can talk what I gained from the workshop to my husband, I can explain it to him. I'm actually excited because that means that they want to learn, they're keen, they're, they're, they're curious,
6: they're, um, they want to make a plan, you know, but having a group like we've had today which was a really good turnout, they're going to take the messages that we've been putting today about being prepared, making that plan back to their own families, back to their own friends and the word is going to spread.
4: For Emergency Management Officer Christy Brown, she hopes workshops like this will prompt people to make sure they're prepared and informed well before they need to act. When it comes to what we
6: call go time and, and the disaster is upon us, the panic just naturally sets in. So just when a day like today, when you're not panicking, and you're not concerned, once you've got that plan in place, so when go time comes, you don't need to panic. You've got your plan and away you go.
1: Melissa Madison reporting there from Mackay in Queensland. It's getting hot up in the top end of the country, with the Bureau of Meteorology predicting the median temperature for summer in Darwin will be just shy of 33 degrees. The hot weather is part and parcel of living in the Northern Territory, and the humidity is particularly pressing in the build-up to the wet season. So much so that newcomers are warned about suicide season, going trapo, and mango madness. Managing heat stress is a big consideration for companies operating in the north. And our reporter Connor Byrne went out to a hot hangar at Darwin Airport to meet a work crew which has moved to best practice in its heat management for staff.
0: We're out in the hangar looking at a plane. The engineering guys are grinding away on something. It's a nice cool day. And we're looking at this weird looking jacket that you've got here. Tell us all about it.
7: So this is one of our ice vests. Um, Basically, uh, you put a big ice brick component into the back of the vest here, put it on, you plug a battery into this part here, And basically when you are at the hottest and when you're actually on the job wearing it, that's when you turn it on because you conserve the battery power and obviously it starts frosting while you're on the job.
0: Keeping her staff cool is top of the agenda for CareFlight Northern Operations Nursing Director Amanda Quinn. We
7: obviously operate um, in an austere environment in the top end of Australia. Out on the tarmac, you know, it can be in excess of 50 degrees sometimes. Um, We're operating in the build-up and the wet season and um, moving Territorians around um, the top end, so heat stress is a big factor in our role.
0: How are things done differently?
7: One of the mitigators that we put in place was the purchase of a crushed ice machine. We had consulted uh, Matt Brealy from the trauma centre whereby he had said one of the quickest ways of cooling ourselves down and, and remaining cool was um, the ingestion of eating crushed ice. We also um, purchased ice vests which could be initially worn under the PPE that we were Um, having to wear for the COVID response, Um, but they are available to all the um, frontline staff to wear throughout the wet season and and build up to try and remain cool on the job.
0: Heat stress scientist Dr Matt Brearley monitors people's responses to heat as they work and play in Northern Australia's oppressive weather at this time of year.
8: I think workers have become disengaged because they know to manage heat it takes a lot more than that. And I think people understand, anyone across the North, it's just so hot. It's so hot. It's not impacting us just at work. It's impacting our family life, how we interact with each other, our moods and our general enjoyment of life, our well-being.
0: Dr Brearley was warned about suicide season, mango madness and going tropo on arrival to the Northern Territory in 2001. You
8: can actually manage this. You don't have to feel like you feel with the headaches and just feeling rubbish every day throughout the build-up and the wet season, there's a different way. And actually, you can enjoy this time of year. And I know some people think I'm crazy, but I'll prove it to them. And then we'll show them that they can do it and then they can actually enjoy their downtime and not just use it to recover from heat, from work, sport, etc.
0: His research proved hot and humid weather was linked to increases in trauma mortality. And what needs to, to stop change or happen right now in the territory to ensure that heat stress doesn't kill all of us or any of us
8: we need to change our behavior and i think this macho attitude that i was born in the territory i've lived up here for 15 years etc don't tell me how to manage heat that's all fine i mean you can keep feeling like rubbish if you want but there's a different approach and that approach means that we actually manage the heat we don't stay out in the heat and and use it as a badge of honour when we collapse or how many times we've been to the hospital as a, as a sign of toughness. Tough people get the job done and getting the job done requires management of heat and not cooking
1: Connor Byrne reporting there from Darwin. To WA now, where millions of dollars have been shelled out in fees and surcharges under a state government scheme that's supposed to help pensioners in regional areas deal with the high price of fuel. The Country Age Pensioner Fuel Card was introduced in 2009 as part of efforts to ease cost of living pressures for elderly people in regional areas where cars were often the only mode of transport available. It provides $575 a year towards the cost of fuel and or taxi travel to offer more support for the transport needs of eligible pensioners. But concerns have been raised over excessive surcharges costing millions of dollars in fees. Our reporter, Brianna Fiore, has the story.
3: Well, I bought a salary, cut the bottom off, put two species in, sit in a glass of water, two, three weeks, you grow legs and you plant it again, that's what happens, where you grow.
9: And then obviously onions.
3: Onions, and then the collie players in sleigh coming on. know
9: oh, what that is, parsley? Parsley. We're in Daryl Maid's veggie garden. He's a 73-year-old retired taxi driver living in Albany on Western Australia's south coast. Daryl has a handlebar moustache, like cricket star Merv Hughes, and he planted his own garden to offset the high cost of living. It's been tough for pensioners like Daryl, and they often have to stick to strict budgets to make ends meet. It's why West Australian government saving schemes like the Country Aged Pension fuel card, are usually met with praise. But every time pensioners go to the Bowser, they're paying a surcharge of up to 3.75% just to use the card. They receive $575 on the card each year, under a $122 million initiative. The surcharges mean society's most vulnerable are getting slugged millions of dollars in fees. Darrell says the surcharge stings.
3: Why should they take a percentage. The only swipe your card was that, it? They want to say they said oh well it was a dollar or something you might have you might have said okay or and still shouldn't shouldn't be nothing yeah well, it seems to be like get a bit of a ride and just ripping off the pensioners another way of doing it and the price of fuel yeah the price of fuel yeah, is high enough without paying more.
9: Former Australian Competition and Consumer Commission deputy chairman Michael Shaper says surcharges are a big problem for vulnerable groups on fixed incomes. He said the problem was likely to worsen with tap and go services.
10: It's a it's an increasingly important issue in terms of today's transactions, where almost we can probably all now think of times where automatically you go in to buy something and the first option payment option you are given is to swipe your card. It's not even uh, even just a few years ago it would have been cash or do you want a card? Today, card transactions. Are increasingly become the tool of choice and sometimes that means for some consumers of course um, you don't have a choice because you either feel that that's the only option you've been given or that that is the most effective way to pay but these things especially when you're on a fixed income such as a pension or any other welfare beneficiary amongst other members of the community. A couple of percentage here, points here, a couple of percentage points there. It might only look like a small rounding up. It might even be something as small as you know a few extra cents added on to the cost of your parking fee because you paid for it with a card rather than coins. Um, but it certainly adds up.
9: Fuel merchants say they are only passing on surcharges imposed by fuel cart operator Wex Motorpass. But Wex claims it does not believe in merchant surcharging saying fuel outlets are setting fees at their own discretion based on what it costs them to install a WEX processing terminal. WA Opposition Leader Mia Davies, whose National Party established the fuel card more than a decade ago, says excessive fees are unacceptable. She also called for the value of the card to be increased. In answers to questions from the ABC, Regional Economic Development Minister Alana McTeenan revealed the WA government is retendering the fuel card service and the value of the card would be a focus of their efforts. Back in Daryl's garden, he says he enjoys growing veggies to share with his community so they can save on groceries. It's pretty. And do, you, um, do your neighbours come and um, want
3: veggies? Oh, I, well, I tell them to come and take them. No, I like just tell any of them. I say, go past there, you want some, some of this, come and get it.
1: That's our reporter Brianna Fiore with retired Albany taxi driver Daryl May. Many farms and grazing properties in remote parts of Australia have long generated their own power off the grid due to their remoteness. But in central Queensland, relatively new farms starting up in semi-urban areas are choosing to be off-grid from the get-go. Our reporter Katrina Bevan finds out why. They come through
11: them pretty
7: good.
1: <laughs> they do, don't they?
11: Yep. Roxanne Hinton is getting ready to harvest finger limes on her farm near Emu Park on the Capricorn Coast. You have that one for your lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> the farm, which was set up in 2018, has 1,500 trees and operates with solar power, completely off grid roxanne and her husband luke opted for the setup for both independence and cost so if we went down the road of tapping into our
7: power it would have cost us about sixty thousand dollars um give or take um we probably saved i think we spent about thirty thousand dollars with the setup and a lot of generosity too of a lot of friends and family helping with that too but our savings were was
11: incredible so we're very happy with that road we went down There's a diesel generator on the property that usually kicks in around 10 o'clock at night when they have events, which are usually weddings. So this initially was our production shed and it was sitting
7: there not doing much while our fruit was growing. So we decided to jump on another angle and um, do weddings. So we are booked out for the next two years. So we will be building another another shed exactly like this for our production.
11: Not far down the road in Yapoon, Ross O'Reilly's High Valley Dawn Permaculture Farm is also self-sufficient in energy.
8: We want to be off-grid, we intend to be off-grid, just for those reasons, you know, for food security and energy, but also to educate. Well, we've got our uh, four dams along the valley floor. We solar pump up on the hill, we've got three big tanks up there, 25,000 litre tanks. And then we use the, the law of gravity to distribute that through our gardens and food forests and bush tucker forests.
11: Melanie and Rob Leather run around 5,000 cattle across three properties in central Queensland. One property has always been off-grid, out of necessity because of its remote location. The other two properties, while on-grid, have a large number of solar pumps. They pump anywhere from 60 to 100,000 litres of water a day, of distances up to four kilometres.
7: The work that we've done around the water infrastructure and particularly the solar systems and um, being able to, to fence those dams or put solar systems on them with holding tanks and troughs, it's going to really make us a lot more resilient during these
11: periods of dry that we're getting um, because we are getting more extreme climatic events. Going off grid is something more farmers are considering, according to the Queensland Farmers Federation. The group's energy project manager Andrew Chamberlain says the body has done lots of work in the last few years looking for ways its members could save on energy, as well as investigating microgrids.
12: Fundamentally I think with the electricity networks a great piece of infrastructure um, and I think it offers those opportunities for farmers to share power and not have to invest in all the infrastructure. they need to generate all their own power all the time which which they need if they go off-grid. But it is difficult to convince farmers when they're facing increasing charges and and reliability issues to to stay on the grid and, and wait for those models to come forward. But you know we've got we've been working on projects that um, develop evidence to show that those models will work. We just need to work with our networks and and regulators to sort of allow those models to start to be adopted.
11: The federal government says it's committed twenty billion dollars to modernise the electricity grid, and its clean energy finance corporation has invested more than three hundred
1: million dollars in twenty projects. Katrina Bevan ending that story from Rockhampton. Lend us your ears and experience a world of audio content with ABC Listen. A world of sound. Like Expanse, Pink Diamond Heist. How millions of dollars of diamonds were stolen in the middle of the bush and somehow smuggled to Europe.
12: And dive deep beneath the surface of three crooked cops known as the Rat Pack. In, dig, sirens are coming. Dorothy handed Hallahan the money. And when he walked off, the undercovers swooped. The ABC Listen app.
13: Lend me your ears. Download
12: it now from your app store.
1: As we discussed yesterday on Australia Wide, rural communities are crying out for health workers. One community in New England and New South Wales is bucking that trend, with a pilot programme that's attracted a GP and other allied health workers in the past 12 months. As Jennifer Ingle reports, Dr Al Khazraji will officially begin work next month, when he'll be joined by his wife Iman, who's a pharmacist and their three children.
14: This is Hayler. Hello, Hager.
15: Hello, John. Nice to meet you. You too. Thank you. Our new doctor, finally. Dr. al Alkazraji is a new recruit at the Gleninus AMH Medical Service, which has been trying for five years to attract more doctors. Practice principal Dr. Peter Annettes says it's not been
14: easy. Oh, it's been desperate, desperate for many years. We've been advertising for five years and it's really been looking like uh, we're going to, the services are really going to go downhill drastically. We're already short. The outlook for many, many years has just been nobody coming.
7: Why is that? Why do you think that is?
14: It's a long-standing problem. I've been working on it since 1988. Uh, It needs political will and political decision-making into the breach
15: stepped a pilot program called Attract Connect Stay and it 's been directly responsible
14: for the arrival of Dr. Al Raji. they have found the doctor for us uh, he was his terrific doctor he's very suitable but they found him and they've brought him here and uh, they're looking after him really well um, got accommodation for him and uh, they're going to uh, help him to meet people in the community all those sort of things that busy doctors that we were told we had to do, uh, that's taken the load off us, and in addition, um, Karen and Attract Connect day have lightened the load. How are you today? I'm okay.
15: Okay. Dr Al-Khaz Raji came to Australia from Iraq in 2014, where he worked as a GP specialising in mental and women's health. He also worked with refugees under the banner of the Red Crescent, an organisation similar to Australia's Red Cross. Formerly based in Brisbane, the move interstate was not one he made lightly.
13: My my target was uh, to settle down in a place where I, I can uh, build up my uh, uh, medical skills and increase my knowledge and be fully qualified uh, here in Australia. One of the things we talked about so when the attract connected state talked to me, what do you need? What's your wishes? Yeah, my first uh, goal was the uh, yeah, education for my kids, support of health as a I have a special new child. So it was a big move, not easy, but uh, we made it. Hi
12: Sharon. Hi. Just working on the um, flyer for our celebration oh. information evening. it's so fantastic. Yeah. A
15: lot of the legwork to make the tree change happen has been due to Karen Munster, the recruiter for Attract Connect stay.
12: We were able to um, help with accommodation and finding suitable rental for the family. Um, advice about schools, um, advice about the family's interests in sport and particularly important was his daughter's um, horse riding lessons, uh, swimming lessons for the family, all those sort of things You know that, that they were particularly interested in. Mm.
15: Ms Munster says Dr Al Kazraji is just one of the people the program has been able to secure.
12: We've successfully recruited one GP and then we are assisting and have assisted um, another GP, a exercise physiologist, a nurse practitioner, a diabetes educator, and most recently, a social worker to settle into the community.
15: So what is Attract Connect Stay? Sharon Nurse is the program chair. We haven't taken a
16: scatterground approach. We've taken a very strategic approach, uh, and we're very much targeted particular individuals who will work for cleanliness, you know, who actually match this community. So when we're looking for people who have a rural, uh, an interest in rural life, who maybe have a young family that they want to raise in a rural town, in a small country town. And, of course, with Haider and, and his wife, we actually scored double there, because, uh, as you know, Iman, Hayter's wife, is also a pharmacist, so we have a doctor and a pharmacist, three beautiful children for the schools, and a new job in town for a nanny. What sort of a win is that? That's just a wonderful outcome for us and a wonderful outcome for them and we will make them very welcome.
15: Ms Nurse says there is no reason why Attract Connect Stay can't spread its wings beyond the health sector. There is a possibility to extend this model. If it works
16: for medical and healthcare professionals, why wouldn't it work for teachers?
15: Why wouldn't it work for other workforce Sectors where there are also workforce shortages. For Dr. Al Raji, he's looking forward to his family arriving in early December and achieving his new medical goals.
13: And I have a special interest as well after uh, my arrival here in Australia and studying and going through the exam learning as well. I, ha- I started to have interest in, in indigenous health as well. Uh, we, it's something we need to focus on in the, in the rural and remote area. Uh, in addition to that, of course, uh, I want to uh, uh, increase my skills and my passion in Iraq, which is women's health and mental health as well.
1: Jennifer Ingalls reporting. And that's all for Australia Wide for this week. And that's a wrap for me for the year. After a very long gap, I'll be heading to see family in Ireland. And I'll speak to you again in the new year. In the meanwhile, I'll leave you in Alex Hyman's capable hands. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Cheerio.